I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles, surprise, surprise, to the 23rd Psalm again. Uh, real easy way to find that is turn to about the middle of your Bible. You'll probably find yourself in the book of Psalms or somewhere close to it, and then turn to chapter 23, the, the beloved 23rd Psalm. We've looked at some uh, a few of the verses, verses 2 and 3 and 4 in, in previous weeks, and we've seen David, who, remember, uh, is the greatest king that Israel ever had. But he grew up as a, as a lowly shepherd. And uh, David takes us with him uh, every place a shepherd would take his flock over the course of a year. From those green pastures and uh, lush green pastures and still, cool, refreshing, safe waters at home. And then in the springtime up through the, uh, the, the mountain passes, the valleys, the deep, deep gulches, draws, and ravines that were actually a, a part of the mountain. And then up to the place where they would take their flocks for the summer months and then keep watch over them by night and day, uh, not in the middle of the winter, not on December 24th, but uh, during the summer months. And it's from that perspective that we see David in verse 5 say to the Lord these words. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Or, uh, the way that many of us learned it, uh, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth. Over. Now, based on what David says in this single verse, there are three things that you can absolutely count on the Lord to do for you when he is your shepherd, like he was David's shepherd. First of all, you can absolutely count on him to do this for you. He will prepare or provide for you all the nourishment that you need. Now, you may say, well, John, uh, uh, in previous weeks, as you talked to us about this psalm, uh, you've already mentioned that particular point, and that's true, because we see it throughout uh, this psalm. But it, it bears repeating, and that's ex exactly what David does here in verse 5, as he talks about how the Lord prepares before us the table, a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Now, I'm convinced that most people that love that psalm, and that's just about everybody I know, uh, have no idea what David is talking about here. But to know, to understand where he's coming from and what he's talking about, what he has in mind 
as he pens these words, I think to, to understand that is to have a greater appreciation for what he says here uh, in, in the first part of this verse. You see, shepherds called those alpine meadows, those ranges high in the hills where they would take their flocks for the summer months, they called them table lands. Now, the Spaniards have a word for it, and that word is a word that's very familiar to us, mesas, which means table. And that's what David is talking about here. And when he says, you prepare a table before me, uh, he's talking about what a shepherd would do for his flock uh, in the in the early months of the late springtime and early summer, you see very early in the season, uh, young shepherds would uh, head for the hills and even before they take their flocks up there, they would make some preliminary trips to to decide, okay, where do I want to take the flock this summer? And before they actually take the flock there, they would then make uh, another preliminary trip or two to literally prepare the table, prepare the table land for the arrival of the flock. They will uh, go up there and they will determine where the best grazing is going to be. They will uh, identify uh, where the best place to, to, to set up camp. Uh, would be. They will try to locate uh, poisonous weeds that, that were there in the area. And if they don't uh, pull them and remove them, they'll just uh, plan to avoid them once they take their flock up there. And then they, when they take their flock up there, they will, you know, they will set up their camps and they will provide for their sheep the, the best grazing. They will clean out uh, streams that, of course, they're going to need during those summer months to provide the, uh, the water for the shepherd and for the sheep. They will clean out of those streams anything that is uh, accumulated over the winter months, any stones or any uh, twigs. They will repair small earthen dams that had been uh, uh, formed by shepherds in previous seasons and so that they could collect that water that was flowing into to pools of still, cool, and then safe water that the, that the sheep would need uh, during that time. They would open up springs that had been become overgrown by grass and weeds and brush. They would go through all kinds of uh, things to literally prepare the table for the arrival of the flock. But I want you to notice something here, what David says about where that uh, table was located. He says, I'll prepare that table in the presence, or David says, you prepare that table in the presence of my enemies. You see, even in the highlands, in those 
ranges high in the hills, the shepherds knew that there were enemies of the flock there, the pests and the parasites, and perhaps the greatest enemy of all, a vicious wolf. There were all kinds of wolves and other predators up there. It's interesting that over the course of the months that a, the shepherd would be with his flock uh, in those alpine meadows, just a single wolf could totally decimate an entire flock of sheep just by picking them off one at a time. Just destroy an entire flock of sheep. You know, I think we all have our own uh, ideas of uh, what we consider to be our enemies. Uh, maybe, maybe it's people. Uh, maybe it's just uh, unpleasant circumstances, things that fight against us to, uh, to you know, make life uncomfortable for us. We all have any number of enemies, but even when things are going good, even when we find ourselves on what we consider to be uh, those enjoying those mountaintop experiences, we encounter those enemies. And while we have enemies, we also have the greatest enemy of all, the enemy, the devil. I can't tell you how many times in, in churches that I, that I served as pastor uh, way back when, and in the years since then, in, as, as I've worked with churches, how many times I've seen it, when churches were experiencing those high moments, uh, those mountaintop experiences, when things seemed like they just couldn't be going better, when God was just blessing the most, it seemed like every single time the devil showed up and did whatever he could to disrupt things, to mess things up, to slow us down, to, to, to put a halt to that which God was doing in our midst. We see it in churches. We see it in church families. We see it as individuals as well. What do you think the greatest mountaintop experience a person can have would be? I think it's when a person gives their heart to Jesus and they're brought from a state of spiritual death to spiritual life. They experience for the first time uh, the life, the eternal, abundant life that only Christ can give. Uh, when, when they pray and they receive the forgiveness of God and he lifts the load of sin off their shoulders and they, they just experience experience being free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, free at last. That's the greatest mountaintop experience anybody can experience. You remember when it happened to you? Some of you can also remember it didn't take too long before the devil attacked. And you know, maybe you didn't even notice it at first it, because you know, he just started messing with your mind and, and putting those, those thoughts in your mind about 
the the value of coming to church and you know worshiping the Lord like we've done and studying the Bible together with your brothers and sisters in Christ like we've done during the Bible study hour and we do each and every week. The devil will put those thoughts in your mind and he gets you to look at it at some of the people that you come to church with and and you look at them and you say, I may be a brand new Christian, but I'm better than they are. And you start questioning the value of just coming to church and, and being with a bunch of hypocrites. Uh, let me just say this about that. Uh, I, had a, I had a pastor tell me once early, many, many years ago, in order to hide behind a hypocrite, you've got to be smaller than they are. Just remember that. You know, we're all hypocrites. You know, we all, we're all just struggling, trying to be all that God wants us to be, trying to become all that God wants us to be. But the devil is the one who, who gets us at looking at the imperfections in others, and there's plenty to look at. But he also starts talking to you about, you know, you don't need to spend time, you know, studying the Bible. Uh, you know, it's preached. You can come to church. You spend an hour a week and get your daily or your weekly dose of God's Word. You don't need to spend time on your knees in prayer and, and, and praying for a, a list that can grow to be a mile long. And, uh, you know, that's just a waste of time. And he'll, the devil began pestering you right after you gave your heart to Jesus. And he's been pestering you ever since. And he's going to pester you till the day you die in the valleys of life, in the dark times of life. Yes, but also even when things couldn't be going better on the mountaintops, when you're experiencing the joy of the mountaintops of life. Look out because chances are the devil is probably fixing to attack. And he didn't take any prisoners. He's out for blood. He's vicious. He's mean. And that's bad news. Let me tell you the good news. In the presence of all those enemies, those whatever it is and whoever it is you consider to be your enemy, in the presence of the enemy, the Lord prepares a table before you. We're talking a feast, real spiritual food, a banquet, uh, a wonderful, bountiful feast, which will give you all the nourishment that you need. I don't think necessarily to do battle with the enemy. Can you imagine a sheep doing battle with a wolf? I just don't see that happening. Shepherd's going to take care of that. The Lord takes care. The, the, the battle is the Lord's when we find ourselves in those battle, uh, spiritual battles. But he gives us all the strength that we need to, to stand strong and to remain standing strong in the midst of the, the, the battles of life. So the first thing that we can count on the Lord doing for us 
is to provide that spiritual nourishment that we need, just like he did the great shepherd himself, Jesus. Do you remember the very first thing that happened to Jesus after he was baptized? And after, you know, he, in the waters of baptism, inaugurated, you know, kicked off his, his ministry before he really did anything as a part of his public ministry, he went into the wilderness and he was tempted of the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. Do you remember how he fought every one of those temptations of the devil? With God's word, didn't he? That's the nourishment that God provides for us. God provides for us his word, which is all the nourishment that we need to do battle or to stand strong in the midst of the battles that we have with the enemy. He provides for us all that nourishment, but it's totally up to us whether or not we're going to consume it. In just a few minutes, uh, maybe, depends on how long I keep you here. Many of us are going to sit at the lunch table, and I I wonder what you're going to do. Some of you may uh, sit there for a few seconds just admiring the meal. I, I guess some people... Uh, before they just start digging in, some people would do that and just just admire how beautiful it is, how beautiful it's set up, and just how pretty it is. If you're wise, you will tell the cook what a good job you think she did. Or maybe he, he did. Uh, you ought to thank God for the for the meal. But I seriously doubt if after doing all of that, any of you are going to stand up and then just walk away from it. That'd be crazy, wouldn't it? But that's exactly what a lot of people do with God's Word. God has given us a rich, bountiful feast in His Word. Yet... uh, Few of us consume it near as often as we as we really should. We admire it. You, you, we'll come to church and we'll sing songs about it, Danny, about how wonderful God's Word and how meaningful it is to us. We'll put it in a prominent place in our home. We'll carry it with us uh, to church every week. It, it becomes a part of our wardrobe, but then we rarely, if ever, Spend time consuming God's Word. Have you ever wondered why that is? Probably because many of us don't have much of an appetite for God's Word. There might be at least a couple of reasons for that. The first would be we just don't do much in order to... uh, work up much of an appetite. I don't know about you, but a few days every week I try to get in some vigorous exercise. I'm I'm doing better now that I'm uh, officially retired, but uh, it comes a little bit easier. 
But I've noticed on those days that I exercise, uh, boy, I eat. I eat a whole lot more, which kind of counteracts the the exercise. But anyway, that's just the way it works. People who don't do much, who just maybe are in the hospital and uh, you know don't even get up out of bed. I promise you, they don't eat much. They don't have much of an appetite a lot of times. And it's not just the food. It's the fact that they're just not burning a whole lot of calories. And so a lot of people don't have a, a much of an appetite for God's Word for the same reason. They're not exercising their faith. They're not doing much in the way of of, of serving the Lord. On the other hand, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and for the nourishment that only God can provide, those are the ones uh, who, uh, who are exercising their faith and, and faithful in serving the Lord. Second reason that some people aren't very uh, hungry for God's word is They've simply gone so long without it, they have lost any appetite that they have for it. It's interesting that uh, people who work in, in uh, world hunger ministries, uh, any kind of hunger ministries locally or around the world, uh, will say that... Uh, They've noticed that people, once they've gone for a prolonged period of time without any kind of food, without anything, just fasting, uh, maybe that's because of the, the, the conditions that they're in, they're, uh, they're, there isn't any food. Whatever the reason is, once they've gone without food for an extended period of time, they reach a point where they're not hungry anymore. They may, they may have been starving to death. They really had an appetite until a point in time they just quit being hungry. And it's when they get to that point uh, when they're just totally, you know, they're starving to death. It's when they uh, need to, to consume, take in that which they need, whether they feel like it. Or not, and that's what it's like for us as well. Uh, some of us don't have any appetite for God's word because we've gone so long without it. When you reach that point, you need it. You need it as surely as you need uh, your next meal. So the first point is you can count on God to provide for you that spiritual nourishment that you need, but you got to consume it. It's left up to you to consume it. There's a second thing that you can absolutely, positively count on the Lord to do for you, and that is he will anoint you uh, so that you can handle everything that bugs you. David says here, you anoint my head with oil. The shepherds take their flocks to the highlands during the summer months. You know what happens during the summer months. 
all kinds of things uh, come alive. Not just the pollens and the flowers and the things that are going up our nostrils you know, nowadays, right about now, but eventually all the bugs are going to come out. Those that crawl on the ground and those that fly in the air. And it is said that uh, sheep around the world are troubled by a particular nasal fly. And it's called a nasal fly because of where it likes to land in, in sheep. It, it'll, it'll fly. It's a tiny little fly that'll land inside the nostril, just right inside the nostril of the sheep. And then uh, it'll lay its eggs there. And when the eggs hatch, those little worm-like larvae will not crawl out, but crawl up the nasal passages, causing all kinds of irritation and inflammation and even infection. And about the only thing that a sheep can do, you know, they're not good at all picking their nose, okay? They can't. They can't do that. But all they can do is just go up and just beat their head up against anything they can to try to find some kind of relief. And they can literally uh, beat themselves silly, beat themselves blind, beat themselves to death. But a good shepherd knows that he can apply uh, a mixture of oil. And in the Middle East back then, in David's day, uh, they would take uh, a little bit of oil and mix it with some sulfur and some spices, and it would act, apply it to the nose area, and it would act as an insect repellent to keep that from being a problem. Sheep around the world are also troubled by a disease called simply a scab, the scab disease, where uh, scabs form. Now, usually you know, in the summertime is a good, good time for this to happen. And uh, the scabs form usually right around the head area. And uh, if left untreated, they can, they can contaminate, spread through an entire flock. Uh, sheep are known for... Uh, likened uh, uh, or enjoying rubbing noses uh, with each other. And so those scabs can literally contaminate an entire flock. But a good shepherd knows that that same uh, oil that's mixed with sulfur and, and spices, uh, he'll use that to treat uh, the scabs and to, to keep them from being as much of a problem. Also, the summertime, particularly the late summertime, is uh, mating season for sheep. And that's, that's when uh, the rams, uh, not the Los Angeles rams, but the rams in the flock will, will have their little contest for their favorite you And the way that they have their contest is they will face each other, two rams will face each other, and then put their heads down and then run at each other just as fast as they can and, and, and butt heads. And you can imagine that can be a problem. 
They can literally kill themselves uh, doing that sort of thing. But a good shepherd knows that he can take uh, some oil and thicken it up by various means to the consistency of axle grease and then apply it to the budding area of a ram's head that causes the rams to, when they hit each other, they just glance off each other in such a ludicrous way they feel silly for going to the trouble of fighting over this gal in the first place. Well, believe it or not, there are parallels in our own Christian experience. We have our own flies, just little teeny tiny irritations uh, in our lives. And it can be any number of things. None of, none of them any big deal. We can, handle, we can handle them now and then. But you know, after a while, they just kind of get on our nerves, don't they? And, and they can kind of accumulate. And, you know, some days are worse than others. Some days are coming at us uh, from all directions. And not only do they make us uh, just kind of irritable and uh, sometimes just downright grumpy and hard to, hard to get along with, hard to work with, uh, and just it, it can become a real problem. Just those teeny tiny things in our lives. But the Good Shepherd has an anointing of the Holy Spirit. And when he anoints us with himself, God himself and the person of his Holy Spirit, uh, he helps us handle those irritations. He, he anoints us with his presence. He blesses us with his presence in such a way that the fruit that, that the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, the, the fruit that he produces, when we bear it in our life, that love and that joy and that peace and that patience and that kindness and that goodness and that faithfulness and that gentleness and that self-control, they, they help those everyday irritations from getting the best of us and damaging our testimony and, and destroying our character. We too find ourselves afflicted with sin, which is like an ugly scab uh, in our life. And if left untreated, can spread not only in our own lives, but throughout the flock and contaminate others uh, who, who, who catch on our sinful attitude and our sinful response to the the things that are happening to us. But when the Good Shepherd anoints us with His Holy Spirit, Jesus says the Holy Spirit, when He comes, He will convict us of that sin. He'll make us aware of it so that we, when we confess it, that is, we say the same thing to God that He says about our sin. And we confess it to Him he is faithful and just. John says in 1 John 1, 9, He is faithful and just, not just to forgive us of our sin, but to begin that process of re removing it, cleansing us from all unrighteousness, removing that sin from our lives. 
And we too, as Christians, even as brothers and sisters in Christ, sometimes we're tempted uh, just to butt heads with each other. Because we're different. We have different ideas. We have different opinions about uh, any number of things. And, but, you know, sometimes we just think, you know, it's, it's this, no, this has got to be my way about this, whatever it is. Uh, it, it's just got to be my way or the highway. And we butt heads with each other. But God anoints us with his spirit that keeps us from doing harm to each other and enables us to do that which would be otherwise impossible in some situations, and that is get along with each other even when we disagree and, and sometimes even to do the hard work of uh, arriving in a place where we can, that we can agree about things, whatever it takes. Oh, when the Lord's your shepherd, you can count on him to provide all the spiritual nourishment that you need to, to help us handle whatever it is and whoever it is bugs us. But there's a third thing that we can count on him to do for us, and that is he will fill you with life overflowing, and he'll do it over and over and over again. Now, if here David had in mind, still has in mind, sheep uh, in the flock of a good shepherd, the sheep's cup wouldn't actually been, David says, my cup overflows. The, the sheep wouldn't have a cup. Uh, it would be the shepherds. It wouldn't be a cup. It would be a container. The word there that David uses is a container, whatever kind of container. Uh, you know, it could be any kind of container. It would be the shepherd's cup or the water container that a shepherd would go down to the stream and fill it up to overflowing. You know, the way you make sure something is filled up is... You, you fill it up until it's spilling out. And whenever the sheep finds himself, a, a sheep finds himself separated by some distance that he doesn't want to transverse or, or go across to get to the nearest stream, he'll just go to the shepherd. And when he goes to the shepherd, voila, the shepherd has this container of water that's literally, the word David uses here, uh, is saturated. My container is saturated. It's full. It's as full as it can possibly be. And he'll give the sheep a little bit of that water, and the sheep will go on his merry way and you know, do some more grazing and do some more sleeping and get thirsty again and come back to the shepherd and for, for another drink of water. And guess what? When he goes back, there's just as much water in the shepherd's container of water as there was the last time. 
And he gets another drink of water and he goes back and he does his thing, you know, come back a few hours later and get another drink. And voila, it's overflowing. It's just as full as it can possibly be. How does he do that? Well, that's what David may have in mind here. Or he may have had in mind a custom which remains a custom uh, even today, thousands of years later in the in the Middle East, when if you were to visit somebody's home, your host would, uh, when you walk in, give you a cup. And then he would take some kind of beverage and pour it into that cup. And you'd visit with him for a while and you'd sip at that cup. And when it uh, got empty, uh, if, if the... Uh, uh, the host wants you to stick around a little bit longer. He'll pour some more liquid in your cup and he'll just keep refilling it until he wants you to leave. When the time comes that he's ready for you to leave, he doesn't have to say a thing. He just doesn't refill your cup. If, on the other hand, the minute you walk into his house, he hands you that cup and he fills it up to the point where a little bit of it overflows and splashes onto the ground, that's your message right there. That's, that's him saying to you, I want you to know that you're really special to me, and I want you to stay just as long as you want. Just remember to turn the lights out, you know, on, on your way out. But you stay just as long as you want. I don't know what David had in mind here. I'll ask him one of these days in eternity. I don't know if he had in mind a sheep that was never disappointed in his shepherd or a guest who was never disappointed uh, in his host. Uh, it could have been both. You know, both are, are true. I do know that Jesus, the good shepherd, said, I have living water to give you, living water that will well up to eternal life. A living water that gives us eternal life, abundant life, the abundant life Jesus said he came to give us right before, over in John 10.10. 10. It's in John 10.11 that he says, I'm the good shepherd. In John 10.10, 10, he says, I'm come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. Abundant life. All the fullness of life that you can possibly experience. And folks, whenever we go to God, day after day after day, for, for just a, 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 a sampling, a, a, a few sips of that eternal abundant life, He gives it to us. He's got plenty to give us to us forever and ever and ever. And he makes it clear to us from the get-go that he wants us to feel welcome to stay with him for as long as we want. And folks, that's for all eternity. He provides a bountiful feast in his word. Well, maybe this morning you need to recommit yourself to feeding 
on that bountiful feast that he provides for you on a regular basis. Pastor Stephen is going to be this evening going through another entire book of the Bible uh, on, on that he's doing once a month on, on Sunday nights. Now, we may think, yeah, that's enough. I can come get a little dose. Of, I can get one verse on Sunday morning. I can get an entire book on Sunday night. But even going through an entire book once a month, uh, Stephen, it's going to take you more than five years, isn't it? It's going to take a while. And by the time we get to the end, we will have forgot. He's going to have to start over again because we'll have forgotten where, what, what he went through uh, you know, years ago. We need more than we can get on Sunday mornings, even uh, in our Bible study hour. Maybe you need to make a recommitment of your life to taking in the, the spiritual nourishment that you need. He also anoints us with his blessed Holy Spirit so we can handle whatever it is uh, that bugs us. Those everyday irritations, um, the sin that is always out to get us, and um, other people that we have to deal with. And also... He fills our life. He gives us all the fullness of life that uh, we can possibly experience. But that's not going to happen unless the Lord is our shepherd. And he's not our shepherd unless we want him to be our shepherd. And we've asked him to be our shepherd. We've asked him to be our Lord. We've asked him to be our Savior. We've committed our life in faith and trust in him. We're trusting in him to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And that is to save us from the penalty for our sin that we all deserve, which is not life but death. And trust in him to bring us alive spiritually with a life that makes this life full and meaningful and lasts forever and ever and ever. If you're here this morning and you've never made that decision, trusting in Jesus to do what he alone can do, Pastor Stephen's going to be down here at the front. I know he, he is able to and he will love to share with you what you can do, how you can ask Jesus into your life and know the life that is life eternal. Let's pray together.